0: It is a privilege to come together to read the word with you all. And when we come together and we read the word, we're not doing a Bible study, but we're, we're reflecting. And so we're going to reflect on the scripture with three questions God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? What in this text are you revealing concerning me? Let's dig in, y'all. Let's get right in. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you've brought us here, Lord, to gather and to read your word together, Father. In our time of fellowship, Father, I just pray that you would bless this moment. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we engage in your scripture, Lord. Reveal who you are, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your will, your character. We wanna know you better today. We wanna know you more today. So as we pray and we read, Father, I just pray that, um, Lord, that your spirit would meet us here. Lord, that we would receive revelation, not just information, that we'd be transformed by your spirit. And Lord, that this word, Make a change in us. But this word expose something in us, Lord God, today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 20. I'll read and then we'll, we'll rant. And it says this. Now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him, saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. For they persuaded that John was a prophet. For they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard leased it to the vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at a vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers, that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vine dresser said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore what will the owner of the vineyard do to them he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others and when they heard it they said certainly not then he looked at them and said what then is it what then is this that it is written the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone whoever falls on that stone will be broken But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. But the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies with another without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up and offer offsprings for his brother. Now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died without children and the second took a wife and he died childless and the third also took her and then the men of the seven also and they left no children and died. Last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised, when he called the Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. And some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you have spoken well. But after, they dared, after that, they dared not question him anymore. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Hmm. (laughs) Ah. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues and the best places at feasts, who devour widows houses, and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. We'll read one more chapter. Luke 21, it says this, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. He said, these things which you see, the days will come which, in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him saying, teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, take heed that you not be deceived for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first but the end will not come immediately then he said to them nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up into synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it will and it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Hmm. Therefore, settle it in your heart, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know, that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, the stress of the nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts falling, sorry, failing them, from fear of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig trees and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass. Pass away. But take heed to yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that they come on you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the earth. Sorry, on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In the daytime, He was teaching in the temple, but at night, He went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to Him in the temple to hear Him. And we're gonna stop right there, reading these two chapters. There's so much grace in this particular portion of Scripture. And if you notice, there's a distinction here between the Book of Luke and the other Gospels that we've read so far up to this point. If you've been on the reading route with me, you know we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey through the text, uh, through Matthew, Mark, And now we're on a journey through the book of Luke, all of which are accounts of Jesus's life and his his ministry on earth. And each account has different focuses. Each account has a way in which things are articulated. Uh, Each account has a particular audience. Each account has a particular perspective. Luke has its own perspective. It's different than Matthew and Mark. As we mentioned before, Luke is writing this gospel to Theophilus. And if there's anything that we can say about Theophilus, since the word Theophilus literally means friend of God, you have to understand what was defined as God, it's symbolic to those who are friends of God, but also to know that the Theophiluses of those times are the ones who Adored science, they adored reason, they adored um, philosophy. And because they adored these things, these things were what they would consider their gods. It's why later on, when Paul is an Aeropagus in uh, what chapter is that? Acts chapter 17, when Paul is an Aeropagus and he confronts the great thinkers and the philosophers of their time and he walks into he walks into the um, into the hall of Aeropagus um, to defend the gospel. He points out to them that they've got an epitaph uh, uh, with an inscription that says, to the unknown God. It said to the unknown God because of the width and breadth of knowledge and that they do not know what they know. They know what they do not know. And if there's anybody who knows anything about philosophy, one of the great revelations in philosophy is that we actually cannot know anything. If anything is based off of observation, we cannot know it. If anything is based off of you know what we see or what we see what we feel, what we do, all of these things are relative to our own experiences and because we cannot simply just trust in our observations nor in the observations of others, we can't actually know anything for sure. right? We can't know anything for sure. However, um, we make faith statements based off those observations. Even even science has faith involved in it, philosophy, faith involved in it. And so, Paul, of course, uh, not Paul, well, Paul was speaking to them in the same way that Luke is speaking to Theophilus. And so, Luke is a little bit different in that Luke is providing different details to some of these stories that we've seen before, right? Matthew has its details. Mark has its details. But Luke is speaking to a different crowd. Luke is speaking to a different audience. Um, and Luke, of course, who is a scientist himself, Luke, the doctor, who is a scientist himself, has every, you know, he he's thinking, okay, I'm going to write this not only with what I observe and what I've been uniquely gifted to see, but I'm going to write this for those who see in the way that I see. And so Luke is a little bit different. And so, th- and, and so one of the places where we find distinction between Luke and the other gospels is actually in this particular section as we read it, when Jesus is speaking about the end times. And if you have been with us, you know, we've did, we've done a whole study on Revelation and, um, and I hope that was fruitful for you, um, in our study of Revelation. But, um, certain things should be eye-opening about the study of Revelation as we study. What is the end times or how did the people in those times perceive what the end times were? How do we look at things from their perspective and their lens? And, and, and what, what this particular, uh, portion of reading does is, is this portion of reading allows us to see it in with more breath because we're seeing it through the voice of Jesus, through the teaching of Jesus. First, we see how the Sadducees ask about the resurrection. It's funny that they ask about it because they don't actually believe in it. And of course, Jesus gives light to what they should be focusing on in the resurrection. Over here, trying to trip him up. But in the end, really, Jesus was giving even more insight to what happens post this life. And then, of course, Jesus then um, continues on. And, and, and the reason why he continues on in, in this particular um, teaching where he speaks about the David. And, and when he says in verse 41, and he said to them, how can they say that Christ is a son of David? Jesus knows at this point that many have questioned his authority. Many are questioning his power. Many are questioning what he can and can't do. I mean, we started with the uh, the parable, right? Of the wicked vine dressers. Notice that parable of the wicked vine dressers is really speaking about Israel. Israel being those who killed the, the servants. And each of those servants that were killed really represented the prophets who were killed. And finally, the son came and they killed the son. And so these wicked vine dressers are Israel. And in the end, what he says is that the inheritance won't be for Israel, that is the wicked vine dressers, but that he would hand it to another. And then, of course, we see the scripture about the chief cornerstone. Again, Jesus is continuing to affirm his authority that he is the son of God. And, of course, the Sadducees try to get him. The Pharisees try to get him. They're always trying to throw him off, asking him questions. Remember the Pharisees that sent people in their midst? Quick little side note, just because people are around you don't mean that people are for you. Let me say that one more time. Just because people are around you doesn't mean that people are for you. People being in your presence, people being in your midst, they have their own agendas. Very rarely do you actually have a person who's within your periphery who actually genuinely just cares about you. They have their own agenda. And so it's not to say that people shouldn't be around you, but you have to understand what is the parameter of what we get out of this moment, this time together, as we spend it together, we put a level of trust on people that we shouldn't. And there's a level of trust that we place on people that we should actually place on God. And we wonder why we get hurt in the church. We get hurt in the church because not because of how people have hurt us, but because of the level of trust that we put on people, we should be connected. We should be, we should, we should love one another. We, we should, we should have a grace for one another. We should forgive one another. We should be bound to one another, but we should not idolize one another. And here's the reality fam, is that churches today, we spend more time idolizing community, putting community where Jesus ought to be. Putting a level of trust in people that we don't even put in God. And that's the unfortunate thing because there are a lot of folks who've left faith because they've left the church or they've left faith because of what a pastor or church people have done. And I get it. Many of us have been hurt by church people, but truly people who have a relationship with Jesus, like you are, bound with Jesus, ain't no offense from nobody that will change how you feel about God. Ain't no offense from nobody that will change how you feel about Jesus. But the problem is, is that we've trusted people more than we've trusted Jesus. We give our lives to people more than we do to Jesus. And so our priorities are misaligned because we trusted a pastor and we made a pastor God. We trusted our small group and we made a small group God. We trusted family and we made our family God. And when they let us down, somehow we interpreted that as Jesus let us down. Let's get our priorities right. Let's get realigned. Let's get our priorities right and let's get realigned. We don't put our trust in men or in princes or in kings, but we put our trust in God. I'm getting there, fam. I'm getting there. We put our trust in God. (sighs) And yet we see so much complexity here that there are people who are in this crowd and they all have their own agendas. Sadducees, scribes, even those who are sent in to pretend like they're righteous. Like there are folks who will come in who will pretend like they're righteous. Pretend like, yeah, man, I love Jesus. Jesus teach me. Just cuz they go to your church don't mean you should trust them. <laughs> Just because they have the guise and the and and the image of righteousness doesn't mean you should get connected and glorify them over him. It's Jesus first. It's Jesus first. Of course Jesus has his discernment on. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows that there are those who are asking questions, not because they want to know, not because they want insight, but because they want to trip Jesus up. They've got their own agenda. They were sent. Not everybody who's in your, not everyone who's in your periphery is for you. I'm sorry if I lean on this for a minute, but I need to. And notice this is not our permission to alienate ourselves either. Ooh, this is where it get tough. Not everyone who is in your periphery, (laughs) not everyone who is in the circumference of your presence, who's around you, who's in your periphery, is for you. There are folks who have their own agendas. They got their own reason why they're around you. Even if they act like they love you and they act like they like you and they act like they're for you, they don't. They don't love you. They don't act like they're for you and they are in your periphery. Learn to discern. But I think it teaches us to learn to put ourselves where people ought to be second to Christ. Starting with your husband, starting with your wife, starting with your family, starting with your friends, they're second. And that Christ comes first. But here's the crazy part, fam. is even when they're not for you. They're still around you. And they were called to be around you. Even Jesus knowing that they're not for him, still were in his presence. Jesus didn't kick them out. (laughs) Did you hear that family? Jesus didn't kick them out. He discerned and knew who they were and Jesus still didn't kick them out. I think this is a beautiful message about the heart of God. It teaches us about how there was a time when we were once enemies of God and that he entered into our lives even as we were enemies of God. I got to say that one more time. How do I stay in the presence of people who hate me? How do you stay when you know there are people who are in your community, in your church, who are around you, who can't stand you, who hate you, who may even smile at you and pretend like they love you. How do you love people like that? How do you love people who hate you and can't stand you and and are waiting to destroy you? This is how you do it. Remember that there was a time when you were once enemies of God. Remember what Jesus did when he knew that there were enemies of him, his enemies. He loved them and let them stay in the periphery of his presence. Fam, what motivates us to even allow our enemies around us is that we were once enemies with God. And even though we were once enemies with God, God did not kick us out. God came and met us, Jesus is the image of what God does when we are enemies with Him. Jesus came and dwelt among us, lived with us, dined with us, even though we hated Him. Israel hated Him. The parable divine the vine dresser, Israel hated Him. Later on we see, hate everywhere, nations rising up against nations, the end times, all these things that we see that's about to transpire, and yet God enters into the mess of it all. He enters into the craziness. He enters into all of it. The reason why we can do it is because first of all, we're not doing it out of somebody's reciprocated love for us. That I had one time someone who told me, he said to me, he said, um, Pastor Isaac, you know, I get so annoyed when I see certain people who are around you. It's almost like you don't see that some of these people don't actually like you. They just want something from you. They have their own agendas. They don't love you. Somehow like you, you just don't notice it. Sometimes I am afraid. I had a person, a friend of mine who said, I'm just kind of, I'm worried. I'm worried that you don't see it. And I'm like, first of all, I do, one. Two, why does that matter? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, why does it matter whether whether I do or don't? I'm still called to love them. See, I love them. I love them greatly, I serve them. Even when I know they don't love me, I love them. And he was like, yeah, but that sometimes just feels like you don't even know. I said, it may feel like that because sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but I know most of the folks, I know a lot of folks who are in my, in my life. Well, maybe not, you know, intimately close, but a lot of folks who, I, I grew up in ministry with, I know they have their own agenda. I'm not stupid. Yeah, but you, it almost feels like you just, you know, it's like you, you don't even know. I said, here's the crazy thing. What if I knew? And they say, so, you know, and, and yet this is, you know, you, you leave them that close. I said, I was once an enemy of God. Of course, there are things I don't tell people. Here, ready for this? I know where to put people in my life. I can love people like crazy. Love is not blind trust. Oh, wow. Love is not blindly trusting somebody. Love is a giving of yourself to people. It's sacrificial. It's agape love, but it's not blindly just giving people information. And it's not blindly throwing stuff at people, especially people who may use them against you. There are people who will destroy you based off of what they know about you. No, love is to is sacrificial, it's the giving of yourself. It's to be there, to help those who are in need. But it's not a trusting of people that supersedes a trusting of God. Never put people before God. Never. People will let you down. Even people who think they love you will let you down. Even people who think that they're for you when they really aren't for you, will let you down. People that you think are for you, who they know they're not for you, who pretend like they're for you, will let you down. Don't put people where God is supposed to be. Starting with your husband, starting with your wife, starting. Don't ever put people where God is supposed to be. It is God first put Christ first, then out of that grace, you love people. You love them. You don't worship them. It's heavy. (laughs) Ooh, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy. But it's good. It's good because we see Jesus and we see what he does. Jesus knows, man. And he knows there are those disciples. Even the disciples are there. Oh, this is gonna sound crazy. Even the disciples in this moment have their own agenda. Peter thinks this thing's gonna go down differently. We know that they have their own agenda because in the end they betrayed him. They all betrayed him. They all ran. I know we like to put Judas out, but they all betrayed him. So they weren't blindly for Jesus. They're blindly for the version of Jesus that worked for them. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just, I'm just pointing this out so you guys can see. And yes, Luke is giving us so much revelation. It's just a practical thing to, to point out as we read this text. Is that Jesus is pointing to what this will look like. There will be enemies. I want to say one last thing and then we're done. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just ranting, y'all. It's just rant. That's what we do. We read and we rant. So we call it the read and Rant. As I'm reading this text, and of course, Jesus is speaking about a time that they will ex- encounter and experience. The end times is an end time for them. He tells them in the text that this, this, these times will be experienced by this generation. He tells them that. He warns them of what's going to happen in the end times. And he warns them that they will experience those things. And of course, we read the history. We know that they will experience those things. He said in verse 32 Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Sorry, that's very specific. He said, This generation will not, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So they're going to experience this, this generation. He said this generation, not, you know, 1,000 years later, not 2,000 years later, not 3,000 years later, but that generation will experience it. And he spoke about the things that would transpire. And of course, if you read your history, you'll see that those things actually did transpire. Everything that Jesus said would happen, happened. Everything he said would happen, happened. Nations would rise up against nations. The skirt and the, skirt, the word nation there is the word ethnos, little, little study, little quick study. Ethnos, that's where we get the word ethnicity from. Okay? <clears throat> I, have, I have guys who was like, man, we're, you know the church has been waiting for Jesus to do these things and Jesus did those things and waiting about these things that Jesus said would happen. They already did. Sorry, side note. We'll leave that for a Bible study. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> the things that Jesus said would happen, happened. He just ain't never lie. <laughs> he ain't never lie. <laughs> and they did. You can just study history. You'll see that it all transpired. But ethnos against ethnos, ethnicity against ethnicity. This is the, the cancer, the sin in the human heart. It's a spiritual cancer. cancer of pride and ethnic pride and and he says ethnicity against ethnicity this would happen people would come against people rise up against people and in those days the posture their posture would be one aligned with the kingdom The Gentiles would trample over Israel. Jerusalem would be destroyed. These are all the things that Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about things that will happen and have happened. Jerusalem was destroyed about 60 years after Jesus had died. Everything Jesus said would happen, happened. Of course, John was in hiding, and then he wrote Revelation, which is to bring light to what was next, what would transpire from then on out. But ethnicity against ethnicity, kingdom against kingdom, there would be famines. There would be pestilences, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. All these things would transpire. Great earthquakes, synagogues would be destroyed. But then he says in verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my sake, for my name's sake. Verse 13, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. And I'm done today. Last thought. Have you ever thought that the division in this world was an opportunity to be a testament to Christ? You see what Israel was experiencing then, what was transpiring in Israel then. Jesus said, when those days come, they will deliver you up. They will persecute you because you're about something more than just your ethnicity. You're about something deeper, something greater. You're about the kingdom of God. And when they deliver you up, they will persecute you for your stance on Christ. And he says, but those moments when they persecute you, when they put you before the kings, before the rulers, before the government, before the mayor, before the commissioner, when they put you before them, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Everything we're experiencing right now in this era, we have the roadmap for how we confront it. What it looks like for the kingdom of God to confront it. These things that he says will happen to Israel are happening now. And many of us are asking the question, how do we, how do we confront such a divisive time? We have nations rising up against nations. In the in the the era of 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 George Floyd and COVID, if you guys remember, it was a divisive time, even in the church. People were divided on this. We had the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. Churches would separate over this. I had people who told me I had to leave my church because the agenda was all about. you know, the government and about, you know, um, the politics. And that is what governed most of the preaching and the people and, and they're sitting there going, this is what it's always, I mean, these people are, that's all they're about. That's all they're about. The people who walked away from the church because of that, the people who just didn't know what to do because the church got really weird and they did get weird because they took a side. They took a political side. And I'm not saying whether you should believe in vaccinations or whether you should not believe in vaccinations. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, where are you in this? Did you pick a side? When we hear about what transpired during the Spanish flu, when millions had died, do you know how the church responded then? They helped those who were in need. They loved them. Even when the world hated them, they loved them. In the era of George Floyd, people were taking sides. In the whole Black Lives Matter thing, people were taking sides. And it's almost like people lost the sight of what they actually stood for. I'll tell you something right now, when you're so strong on Jesus, most likely both sides will have a problem with you. I wanna be so about Jesus that Republicans are uncomfortable with me and Democrats are uncomfortable with me. I want to be so about Jesus that black folks are uncomfortable with me and white folks are uncomfortable with me. I want to be so about Jesus that anybody with any kind of political agenda would be uncomfortable with me because Jesus supersedes politics. He supersedes race. He supersedes ethnicity. He's beyond all that. He's beyond all of it. And yet we have quote unquote Christians who put their politics before their faith, who put their race before their faith, who put their ethnicity before their faith. And we wonder why the church is so divided because our agendas are rooted in the sin of our hearts. But man, if we could be so about Jesus, we could stir up the pot and make this thing about something way bigger than any philosopher, any politician, and any race. Let's be about Jesus, y'all. Let's be about Jesus. Whoo. I love y'all fam. (laughs) I love y'all fam. And I pray that the grace of God will work in each and every one of us, this is a long rant today. (laughs) And I know I've been ranting. Whether there's anything we to be reminded today is that even in the midst of divisiveness, even in the midst of derision, even in the midst of people who have been pushing their own agendas, and even in the midst of people who are messy, who have their own thing and have their own agendas, even concerning you, even concerning Jesus, let's be reminded first and motivated that Jesus entered with boldness and dwelt among us, came and met us when we were once enemies of God. And even now, as we're in the presence of people who are enemies of us, enemies of our faith, enemies of, uh, enemies of Christ, we do not run away from it. We run into it. And the reason why we can persevere even in the midst of that is because we didn't come for their approval. We came and we're here because we have been affirmed by Christ. And now we serve Him and we serve Him faithfully. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as we've come together in just this time of um, reflection. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this time would be inspired, not that it's inspired, it's already inspired, but that this time would inspire us, Lord, to step into even the dark places, the divided places, to have boldness to know, Lord, that you have called us into this, Lord, that we would know, Lord, that we are, um, Lord, not called to take sides, but called, Lord, to carry your banner. So I ask, Lord, today, Lord, that you would, Allow us to live as you want us to live, as you desire us to live, as your will, Lord, commands us to live. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be comforted to know, Lord, even in the presence of enemies, Lord. You've called us to love them and to know, Lord, that we are loved by you. So bless us today. Guide us today. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.